Amen. Thank you, Rosie and team. Good evening, everyone. How good is it uh, to come together and to sing and worship our great God and sing about the blood of Jesus, which has washed us clean, through which we are forgiven and set free and saved and made right with God. What a gracious gift. What an awesome God we serve and worship. I hope you've had a great day today. Uh, I had the pleasure this morning of doing church at home. Uh, We did uh, church, I did bacon and eggs for breakfast, which uh, of course I cook being Mother's Day. And then uh, we did church at home, Uh, all of us uh, sitting on the bed, snuggled in together. I was wearing a dressing gown and Ugg boots. You probably don't need the visual, but uh, it was magnificent. And uh, just a great day. Went for a beautiful walk. Sun was shining. Played a board game, Ticket to Ride. If anyone knows the game Ticket to Ride, I won the game. It was Mother's Day. I should have lost. But I got up in, in a Ticket to Ride. So it's been a great day. And I hope it's been a really great, uh, great day for you. I really want to start by honouring the mums uh, in our church and, in fact, just more broadly, the women in our church. Uh, we're so thankful for the role that women play uh, across the life of our church. It was awesome this morning to have uh, Epiphany Tennant uh, preaching, to have a, a mum sharing on Mother's Day and just to have uh, the women in the life of our church is such a valuable thing. But as Epiphany shared this morning, she just shared from the heart about both the joys and the challenges of being a mum and spoke very powerfully about that. And I really was just reminded that um, really there's no amount of thanks and gratitude that can be given to the role of mums. Uh, Mums do uh, tireless work, just constant uh, serving unconditional love and and we're just uh, so thankful for for the mums and the role they have uh, in our lives. I do particularly want to honour the two most uh, significant women in my life. The first is my mum. I know she's listening tonight so uh, happy Mother's Day mum. I have already spoken to you but happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, yeah my faith um, my faith I stand here as a pastor significantly because of the impact of Uh, my mum and her faith in my life and the role that my parents played in raising me to know the Lord, giving me that opportunity. So thankful for that. So thank you, mum. And the other one I want to honour is, of course, uh, my wife, Mel. And um, just being here tonight reminds me um, that uh, one of the things that happens and has been happening in our family for the past sort of 14 years since uh, Mel became a mum is that every Sunday night I head off to do church. And for most of those years and pretty much every Sunday night, that means that Mel has done the Sunday night uh, bedtime routine and all of that uh, without me there. And the same goes on lots of other nights when I've been out at lots of meetings and all the the stuff that a pastor uh, does. And so I just want to say thank you uh, to Mel because that is an incredible sacrifice and she has released me and blessed me in that way to go and serve the Lord in the way that I have. I'm so thankful for my wife. Uh, She is an amazing mum. So I've got a round of applause happening in the room, which is awesome and well-deserved. Also, as Mike prayed, you know, today is a difficult day for many women and for many mums Um, and for people who are thinking about their mums. Some people in our church have have lost their mums and have lost their mums in recent times. Others, uh, perhaps hopes and dreams of one day being a mum, and perhaps they haven't been realised. So there's all sorts of different emotions and feelings that come with this day. I just want to say that for whatever this day means for you, if you are a woman in this church, um, 
If you are someone who's, who's remembering your mum, uh, we are just standing with you, praying with you. We're, we're apart t- today, but we're also still together. And our thoughts and prayers are with all of you. Okay, uh, we're going to get into the passage tonight. I'm preaching from uh, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read that passage for you as soon as I can find it. Uh, we're going to start at verse uh, 11, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 11. And we will go through to verse 25, the last verse in the chapter. Uh, here we go. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves uh, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we may die die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Heavenly Father, I pray that this word as it goes out tonight would not return empty, but would speak to people, would touch people and would change lives. Thank you that you work through your word and you speak through it by the power of your spirit. And I pray that every single person who hears this message, whether tonight, through the week, wherever you are, at home, in your car, whatever context it is and place it is that you hear this word, I pray that it speaks to you by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one of my favourite movies uh, is the sci-fi classic, The Matrix. Hands up if if you've seen The Matrix. You can do this at home or if you're in the room. Um, The Matrix, uh, for those who have not seen it, uh, is about a computer hacker who, uh, whose hacker name is Neo. Um, his name is someone Anderson, I can't remember, Mr. Anderson. Um, and uh, he, senses, he senses that something is not right with the world. He senses that while everyone else seems content and is happy going through the motions of life, that there's something going on, there's something more, there's something beyond what can be seen and touched and felt. And he, so he's on this search to kind of find what this thing is. 
And, uh, and he begins to discover, he, 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 there's this thing called the matrix, and that's what he thinks this thing may be. And through a series of events, he comes into a space where he has a choice before him. He meets someone who can help him find out the truth about life, to find out about the matrix. And he's given a choice. He's got two uh, pills placed on the table before him. And the guy says, if you take the red pill, uh, you will wake up, and I might get the colours wrong here, but it doesn't really matter. So for those Matrix lovers, forgive me if I get this wrong. So if you take the red pill, um, you, you'll wake up from, from this life and you'll find out all about the Matrix and you will, you'll discover reality. But your life will never be the same. But if you take the blue pill, you'll just go to sleep and you'll wake up and you'll go back to normal and you'll forget all about the matrix. Do you want to find the truth? Do you want to, do you want to take a risk about, about what this will mean for your life? Or do you just want to, you've got a choice. The other choice is to take the blue pill or the red pill, whichever it is, and you go back to normal, right? Which does he choose? He chooses to find out about reality. And having done that, his life is never going to be the same. He's found out the truth. There is more to this life than what you can see and touch and feel. And knowing this truth changes his life forever. Now, you can probably see where I'm going with this. This is a pretty amazing analogy for coming to know God, for coming to know the Holy Spirit in your life, for receiving the the forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus. In doing that, we come to know that there is a deeper reality. There is more to life than what we can see and feel and touch. And having done that, the question is, what are you going to do with your life? What will you do with your life? Now you have come to know this gospel. The early part of, of Peter is, is explaining and reminding us of this incredible grace, the living hope we have through Jesus. And now halfway through chapter 2, it's halfway through a chapter, it's, it's partway through. But at this point, the chapter and the whole book shifts and the message becomes about this question, having discovered the gospel, how then shall we live? And I'm going to pre- preach a, a pretty brief message tonight. I'm going to give us three words about Uh, from this passage about how we should live. And these are the words. First word is resist. Everyone say resist. Second word is excel. Excel. And the third word is honour. Honour. Wow, there's like nine people in the room here and they're louder than a normal congregation in calling that out. Well done. Um, So let me highlight something here. As I said, this uh, passage is the shift in in the scripture, in the structure of this passage, of this book. Uh, This book gives us the theology first. And the practical second. The gospel first, application second. First it talks about what God has done for us and only having done that does it talk about how we should live in response to that. And this is really important. I want to highlight this point. Uh, We know, we should know, let me make it clear, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. If you are someone tuning into this who has not heard the gospel, does not does not really understand. If I said to you, what is the gospel? And you would say, well, I'm not really sure. Let me make it really clear. Good people don't go to heaven. You don't go to heaven because there's like God's got a set of scales and and he weighs it up. and, And if your good works are better than your bad works, then you're in. Our God is a holy, perfect God. 
when we come to see God and know God and we, we, we put ourselves in the light of His holiness and perfection, what it exposes is our desperate need for a saviour. And those who are part of the church are not those who are desperately trying to live good lives in the hope that one day we'll be admitted to heaven, having proved ourselves worthy. The gospel message is that we are not worthy and we are sinful and yet we have come to know the Saviour Jesus Christ and through His blood, which we just sang about, through His sacrifice in our place, in our place we have been saved and forgiven and set free and then can, in response to that we walk into a new life and if we start explaining 1 Peter chapter 2 the second half and what follows from that and if we do that in all the books of of Paul that, that start out with the gospel move on to the practical if we just do the practical if we just preach the application but miss the gospel we can miss the point because we are not living to see ourselves saved we're living because by grace we have been saved I want to highlight that before I talk about the practical stuff. So having done that, let's jump, uh, jump into the text. A little voice break there. Is my, uh, yes, anyway, we'll carry on. Um, uh, he starts off saying, dear friends, dear friends, other versions say beloved. Uh, this is, is being spoken out of love. This is a message being given out of deep sense of care and concern for the people that Peter writes to. And uh, all the practical advice of the Bible is never a set of rules, right? It's never a set of like, here's the things you must do. It is like, in love, this is how a loving Heavenly Father wants to guide us and direct us so that we can live life really well. He goes on to say, dear friends, I urge you, and this is really important here, because he's not just saying like, I, I suggest to you, or... I recommend to you, or um, the following advice is kind of uh, some steps, uh, you know, some handy hints for living. He's saying uh, here, I, I passionately, I passionately urge you. What he's writing here is, you know, the, when he writes the practical stuff, there's actually passion in it. He's like, this is so important that you hear this and apply this in your lives. I strongly urge you, I passionately speak to you about this topic. So he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. This is uh, referring back to what I spoke about uh, a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1. He's not writing to them because they're foreigners. Uh, they're actually li people living in their own home country. He's writing to them saying, you're foreigners because heaven is your home. And you're a foreigner in that, that you've actually discovered you've got a new home and heaven is your home and you've got a new uh, Lord because Jesus is your Lord. And now you're kind of living as foreigners in a strange land. And that's kind of how living in this world should feel as followers of Jesus. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in the land to do uh, three things. And this is the three things that I spoke about. The first one is to resist. He says this. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul how many of you out there like when you start hearing passages about you know abstaining from sinful desires and that you're thinking man i love hearing pre preaching about this this is my favorite stuff to hear you know just love a bit of preaching about um uh, abstaining from sinful desires one of my favorite passages is about you know abstaining from sinful desires probably not many of you um but it's important that we hear this because it tells us that uh 
sinful desires are waging war against our soul. What does that all mean? Uh, we are being compelled to resist on an hourly and daily basis against sinful desires that are waging war against our soul. Um, what are the sort of things it's talking about? We can look at other passages like Galatians 5. It's all sorts of ugly stuff like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, uh, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, uh, wild parties and sins like these. And what it's saying here is it's a really interesting picture, this idea that these wage war against your soul. Uh, the, the actual Greek word is the same Greek word that would be used uh, when they're talking about the army, and it says uh, someone who chooses to serve as a soldier. What it's basically saying is that we're actually in a battle. But the problem is some t- a lot of the times we don't live like we're in a battle or think like we're in a battle. You know the, the war movies you see where uh, maybe World War I and they're fighting a battle in the midst of a village, like a French village, and there's, there's an army at, at one side of the village and there's another uh, army at the other and there's bullets firing back and forth and the soldiers are there. Uh, can you imagine if someone just kind of like was completely oblivious to that somehow and they just kind of grabbed their shopping bag and walked out the front door and they're just strolling down the street and they're just totally oblivious to the fact that they are in the middle of a battle. Uh, You would say that person is completely crazy. And they would be. But how do you live your life as a Christian? When you walk out the door daily, do you realise that you are in a battle against an enemy, against desires, against temptation that is actually waging war against you? If you're going into a battle, what would be the first thing you would do? If you knew you were going into a battle, what would be the first thing that you would do? Uh, I would put on some armour. I would grab a weapon and I would be very alert and very aware of what I was doing and where I was going. I'd be very careful. I'd think. And this is exactly what we're called to. In Galatians... um, Galatians 5, I think it is, Galatians 6, I don't have the passage here, famous passage, so full armour of God, put on the armour of God, it says this, put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It is foolish not to put on armour. It is foolish not to know, have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and to be knowing that. And, and how often I, I feel like Christians are, are just not prepared for the battle. 
and not aware of it. And then they, temptation comes against them and, and that, that desire and, and that, that, that sinful kind of uh, stuff comes against them. And we think, man, this is so difficult. Don't be surprised that it's difficult. The scripture says you're in a battle. You're waging a war. And there's an enemy coming against us. So put on armor and resist. Resist. That's the first word. First word is risk. Second word is uh, excel. Excel. Let's have a look at verse 12. What does it say? Live such good lives among the pagans, among, that is simply saying, everyone who is not a believer, uh, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. When you go out about your daily life, tomorrow, when you go out about your daily life, I don't know. A lot of people are working from home, so they're not really seeing a lot of people at the moment. But when you do see people, when life goes back to normal and you're back in the sports club or the team or the workplace or the, the, the shops and you're seeing this person and that person and all the different contexts of your life where you just mix in the wider community, what are people seeing about you? What is your temperament? What are your words? What are your actions? What is, what is the way you go about life? Are you grumpy? Are you rude? Are you self-centered? Are you easily angered? Are you judgmental? Are you the critic? Or do they see the fruit of the Spirit in you? Do they see joy? Do they see patience? Do they see gentleness? Do they see self-control? Do they see generosity? Do they see compassion? Do they see someone who listens? What do people see when they see you? I believe Christians are called to excel in life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church about their, their giving and he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And I believe that Christians should be striving to be the best workmates they can be, to be the best friends that they can be, to be the best neighbours that they can be, to be the best teammates that they can be, to be the people who in the workplace, for example, don't cut corners, to be the people in the workplace who, who, who um, don't join in the office gossip, who stand up for the person who's being bullied, who even when the boss is not watching works just as hard, who if they're leaving their job and they're finishing up doesn't just ease down in the last few weeks but actually works hard, as hard as they've worked the whole time and does that not so that just so that they can be honourable in the way that they work. Because people are watching and people are seeing you and do you know that before people see God, before people experience God, the people that they, the, before they do that, they see Christians. Before they experience God and see God, they see you. What are they seeing? The scriptures say you are an ambassador. You're a representative. You're there to say, this is kind of, this is, I'm representing God as I move about my daily life. What do people see when they see you? What does it look like? Now, I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help thinking about someone uh, from a cartoon that I occasionally watch, The Simpsons, and that person is Ned Flanders. <laughs> so Ned Flanders is the neighbour who is 
is always chirpy, he's always up and about. And I thought, maybe I'm just encouraging people to be like Ned Flanders. I don't think that. So, so I think here's a crucial thing that maybe takes it a little bit deeper than that, which is that I think Christians need to show integrity but also authenticity. So what I'm not calling you to is a life where it's always kind of like, howdy ho neighbour, I'm, I'm going great, how are you, what a beautiful day, but someone who can actually be honest about their life. Okay, one of the most powerful ways you can be honest about your life is to be real about your struggles and what's not easy in life and just someone who is on the level uh, in terms of being real. And uh, I think if we can be honest, have integrity and be authentic, um, we can have a profound effect on people. There's actually in this world today a, a lack of people who will really sit down and listen and give other people time. We live busy lives. We're rushing about, uh, a lot of people communicating on social media, text message, um, tweets, all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of moving about quickly. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of living and doing stuff with people, but not deeply with people. And I think one of the things we need to do is actually go deep with people, being willing to be the people who will listen the people who will care, the people that will share at that deeper level. So the first word is resist. The second word is excel. Third word is this. The third word is honour. Honour. Let's go on to verse 13. By the way, I'm not taking this long in every verse. Uh, Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do wrong right. Uh, We're called actually in life to submit. Uh, A lot of the time we're called to submit to one another. We're called children to parents and wives to husband and that's going to be explored next week because that's something that's particularly misunderstood. But submission is something that again the Bible calls us to that a lot of people, this world is uh, like submission is really not a cool and popular thing. Again, I don't know too many people who like their favourite verses is like the verse about submitting. You know, like, you know, sometimes on birthday cards or Christmas cards, we write like a little scripture verse of encouragement to someone. We rarely write the verse around submitting. It's it's just not not a popular one. It's not a big seller. But actually, we're called to submit not just to God, but to human authorities. And this is interesting because when the New Testament came around, the question was, how are Christians going to relate to earthly authorities? What do we do? You know, the whole cry of uh, the, the call of, of the times was that you need to say Caesar is Lord. And the Christians started saying Jesus is Lord. But what is, where does that leave the emperor? Are Christians are on a whole different plane. Are, we meant to, are Christians meant to rebel? There's sort of three options. One, Christians could rebel. Secondly, they could remove themselves. And there were groups of Christians, and this has happened right through history, who sort of removed themselves from society. Or we actually submit and honour those in authority above us. So what does this mean for us? Well, it actually means that we should honour those who are in authority above us. It's very simple. It's what it says. We should pray for our politicians. We should seek to obey the law. We should seek to follow it. Um, scripture calls us to pray for those who are, who are political leaders. Now, you may not have voted for the current prime minister, or you may have. That really doesn't matter. We should submit and honour that person in how we speak about them, even when we don't agree with them. We should speak and we should honour them and we should pray for them. Now, the question is then, where does this find its its boundary? 
because this call to submit to authority uh, has limits. Let Let me read to you from Acts chapter 5. It says this, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. Another time it says, We we cannot stop talking about Jesus. So here they've got the authority saying, Don't do something. And they're saying, Well, sorry, we've got a higher authority. So uh, as you can see, this call to submit and obey kind of opens up a bit of a can of worms. What about people who are meeting in underground churches in China? What about those who in communist Russia were smuggling Bibles across the border? What about those who are Christians in nation where it's, it's illegal to be a Christian or convert somebody? What do they do? Well, I would, I would kind of draw two lines in the sand here. Firstly, you should obey in, unless you're called to, to sin. If you're called to sin, that's the point where you can resist and say no. The other is you can obey unless the freedom to practice the core, the core of our faith, the freedom to practice the core of our faith and share our faith is denied. Um, but in all of this, it's about acting with discernment and wisdom. Uh, Peter goes on to talk about slaves and masters and he talks about even under a harsh boss, we should display integrity, endurance, patience and perverence perseverance even under a harsh boss we should still honor them now here's the interesting part of this verse peter says we should honor the emperor peter says we should submit to the emperor now who was the emperor in peter's day well it was a guy called nero and i don't know if you know anything about the emperor nero but nero persecuted christians worse than almost any emperor in fact it was nero under nero's rule that Peter himself would later be martyred by crucifixion. And he is saying, submit and honour the emperor. Isn't that interesting? What's the principle here? Those above us, whether in a workplace, uh, whether in a school setting, whether in a political situation, whatever it is, those who are leaders who have been placed in leaders above us, Christians can actually express their faith by honouring those people. Now, here's the thing. So often, this is kind of a conclusion, so often we as Christians too easily fall into the idea that there's a divide between the sacred and the secular. We do church, we do small groups, we read our Bible and we kind of come into this sacred space and then we leave the sacred space and we go into the secular space and it's too easy to think that there's, you know, this is the part of our life where the Bible applies and then too easy it's for us to forget about that and go and live kind of just like everyone else is. We place this divide between the secular and the sacred, but I want to say it's all spiritual. Everything you do, every part of your day, every word you speak, every action you take is an expression of your faith in Jesus. And what's interesting, if I go back to verse 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're waiting for that one moment where we get a chance to speak about Jesus to our non-Christian friend. We're thinking about, what would I say if I get a chance to say something about my faith to my non-Christian friend? Well, let me tell you something. Everything you say is saying something to your non-Christian friend. Everything you do is a statement about God. 
and about what he means. And if you've got people in your life who know you are a believer, then every action you take and every step you take and every word you say is a statement about your faith. Because before they see God, they will see you. And before they come to know God, they know you. So, may you resist sin because there's nothing worse than someone who's living a life of faith who's actually caught up in sin we all struggle with it we all battle with it it's difficult we all fail i am not perfect myself that is clear but resist resist secondly excel excel in your life in every area of your life excel in the way you live live such good lives that people see how you're living your life and it points towards God. And thirdly, honour. Show honour to those in leadership above you. To this you were called. Why? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This goes on to talk about the nature of the way Jesus lived his life. Excelling, resisting sin and honouring those above him. But more than an example, it speaks this last verse, I'm going to read it again, about what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. And the beauty of this passage is, it's a, it's not, it's a practical application passages, passage, but it ends with the gospel. And tonight we get to end this service with the gospel, with communion. Tonight we get to end this service by coming around the table. And if you're sitting at home, I hope you've, you've done as was mentioned at the start of the service. If you, if you didn't catch the notices part, we're going to take communion now. And if you missed it, you've still got time to grab some bread, to grab some wine or juice or just something representing the blood. And we get time just to, to focus around the core of our faith. It says at the end of this passage, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And if I'm trying to explain what Jesus has done for you, whether you've heard this a hundred times or a thousand times or for, by, by sheer chance or by the uh, uh, work of God, you are hearing this for the very first time. If you want to understand the heart of Christianity, it is in that verse that he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross. And we think about the suffering of Jesus being crucified and having nails put through his hands and feet and hanging on that cross dying. We think about the physical pain of that suffering. And I want to tell you, it is nothing the physical pain that Jesus suffered compared to the spiritual pain that he suffered because he bore our sins on that cross. He bore my sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world throughout the whole of history because he was a once and for all perfect sacrifice for sin he was God who came into this world to live his life and to give his life as a sacrifice for many and so he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds we have been healed we have been healed Jesus is our saviour Jesus is our rescuer he is our redeemer, he is our healer, and he is our shepherd. Through his sacrifice, we are made right. So tonight, I invite you to come around the table, to grab the bread 
Let me do that right now. To grab the bread. This bread represents the body of Jesus. Such a simple thing, a piece of bread, it's part of just about every main meal. But this bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you. So now let us take and eat in remembrance. And secondly, we have the cup. And on the table in Jesus' day, at every evening meal would have been wine, a cup of wine. And so the bread and the, and the wine was on the, every table and every meal. But this blood represents the blood of Jesus, which is poured out for you, for forgiveness. Let us drink this now together in remembrance of him. We're going to take time now. I'm going to invite uh, the crew who are here, the band and the tech guys, they're going to come forward and also take communion. And then we're going to finish up with a song of worship. But thank you for joining us uh, and hearing this message. My prayer is that it has spoken to you and blessed you and that you'll take something out of it into this week and beyond. But let's share communion now and worship together. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.